0: Psalm 30 this morning, Psalm chapter 30. Let's begin reading in verse number one. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried out to you and you healed me. O Lord, you brought my soul up from the grave. You have kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. Sing praise to the Lord, you saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Now, in my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. Lord, by your favor, you have made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face, and I was troubled. I cried out to you, O Lord, and to the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your truth? Hear, O Lord, and have mercy on me. Lord, be my helper. And you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness to the end that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Father God, we pray today that you will help us now as we turn our attention to this psalm, that you will fill us with a thankful heart, not only for who you are, but for what you have done. Speak to us from these ancient words, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we started a thing called Project Thankfulness last week, and we're going to try to continue that, Lord willing, throughout the month of, thanks, uh, month of November, Thanksgiving month. And uh, four different things we want to look at, four different topics. Last week we talked about thank you, God, uh, for who you are. And this week we want to talk about thank you, God, for what you have done Lord willing, next week, thank you, God, for what you are doing. And then finally, thank you, God, for what you will yet do. So that's our, that's our goal for the next few weeks today. Thank you, God, for what you have done. You know, there are several psalms in the Bible which are referred to as Thanksgiving psalms, where the entire topic, the entire gist of the, of the psalmist's words are, are, are thankfulness. Some of them would include Psalm 18, Psalm 32, Psalm 34, 40, 41, 116, and this one. Psalm 30, where David is clearly saying, thank you, God, for what you have done. Notice some of the things he says here that God has done and for which by implication he is thankful. I don't know that he really uses the word thankful in there. Yeah, he does. He says give thanks. But uh, it's, it's kind of more by implication that we're getting this from these things. Notice what he says God has done. In verse number one, he says, you have lifted me up. Also in verse number 1, you have not let my foes rejoice over me. In verse 2, you have healed me. In verse 3, you brought my soul up from the grave and you have kept me alive. In verse 7, you have made my mountains stand strong. In verse 11, you have turned my mourning into dancing and you have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. It's quite a list that he's got there. If we were to just go down through that list, we could spend some time this morning. Quite a list of reasons to be thankful for what God has done. But I want to narrow it down, and I think that we can put some structure around David's psalm here and outline this thing a little bit differently. And I think we'll see that he's saying something a little bit more general. I think what he's saying is this, I'm thankful, God, that you delivered me. And that even when I drifted away in pride, you delivered me again. And again. And again. Notice that. If you're taking notes this morning, here's the outline that we're going to follow. First of all, he has delivered me. Secondly, he has delivered you. Thirdly, he has chastened me. And fourth, he has kept right on, delivering me. First of all, he has delivered me. Notice again verses 1 through 3. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried out to you and you healed me. O Lord, you brought my soul up from the grave. You have kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. He has delivered me. I doubt... Many of us can look back on our personal past and see the kinds of personal deliverances that David was able to see in his past. I mean, God had delivered him from some amazing things. We don't, we don't have to look any further than the amazing battle with Goliath to think about the kind of things that might have been on his mind right here when he was saying, Lord, you have delivered me, when he was thinking about God's past deliverances. The heading on the psalm says, a psalm, a song at the dedication of the house of David. That heading indicates that David wrote this for the dedication of his royal palace. Some people seem to think that's referring to the temple, but I don't think so, and most don't. Uh, It would be when he built his house, the royal palace. And so he's at this point in his life where the kingdom is subdued under him, and where all, all is basically peace, all of the struggles that he had had with his Predecessor Saul are behind him. He's no longer running across the wilderness, fleeing for his very life. He no longer has people trying to kill him every place he goes. He's come to a place where God has delivered him on all sides. And he indeed can say God has lifted him up and made him king. And God has given him victory over his enemies. And these are enemies who in a very real sense wanted to put him in the grave. And so he could indeed say that God has delivered his soul from the grave and indeed kept him alive. All those things David could look back on his past and see. And so as he muses on all the ways God has delivered him, he cannot help but extol him. See that word in verse number one? I will extol you, O Lord. It's an interesting word. Just about every English translation translates it, the the, the Greek word or the Hebrew word as extol. And it means to raise up. It means to lift up on high. And we could, I think, without doing any damage to the Scripture at all, we could translate verse 1 as, I will lift up your name, God, because you have lifted me up. I will lift you up. Cannot and should not we do the same? Has He not so delivered us? Can we not give thanks for the same thing? Which of us who has been saved any length of time would deny the fact that uh, He has lifted us up? that He has reached down to where we were, as the old gospel song says, way, way down to the very depths of where we were, and lifted us up. I love the line from that old chorus that we sing every once in a while, I was nothing until you found me. You have given life to me. Yes, He has lifted us up. He has delivered us. He has healed us. He has brought up our soul from the grave. He has kept us alive. And so we could say it along with David here. Thank you, God, for what you have done. You have delivered me. Well, David goes on in verses 4 and 5, and he says exactly that same thing. He says, this is not just about me. This is about you. All of us ought to recognize that He has delivered. Look at verse number four. Sing praise to the Lord, you saints of His, and give thanks at the remembrance of His holy name. For His anger is but for a moment. His favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. This is not just about me, David says. He encourages all who are hearing Him. You do, you do the same thing. It's true of all of us. We all ought to sing His praises. We all ought to be thankful for His deliverance in our life. We all ought to sing it. We all ought to give thanks. David was king as he was singing this. We might say it was his imperative for his people. We all ought to extol his name for his deliverance. And and maybe you're sitting there this morning and you're saying, well, you know, all these things are true and they're they're kind of generic things. He has delivered us. He has lifted me up. He has saved my uh, my soul from the grave. You know, all that kind of stuff. We talk that way all the time. And you might think, it doesn't make me feel very thankful. It doesn't really give me any thought to get my mind around well let me share a verse here that might look at verse number five because if verse number five doesn't make you thankful for what god has done there's something wrong with your thanker there's something wrong there because this this is just an amazing verse this is one of those verses that you ought to underline in your bibles you do mark it in your bibles right you ought to do that underline it in your bibles draw circles around it in your bibles get colored pens and, and circle it do whatever you have to do highlight it draw asterisks arrows whatever so that every time you come to this page, that verse just leaps off the page at you. Because it's just a tremendous verse. Think about what it says. His anger is but for a moment. His favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. There are four phrases in that little verse, and I just want to, I want to break them down. And I want you to think about how we ought to give thanks for each of them. His anger is but for a moment. His anger is but for a moment. You know, here's the fact. We Christians mess up. We Christians drift away sometimes. We Christians backslide. David is actually going to describe here in just a few moments a a, a time in his life, just such an example. Without going into any great detail, I, I don't want to bog down on this, but I think it's important for us to recognize that what the Bible teaches is when that happens, God chases after us and chastens us. He spanks us, if you will. And yet, according to this verse here, even when he is angry with us, his mercy shines through. His anger is but for a moment. One man commenting on this said, Relatively, the longest experience of divine anger by the pious, and he means the believer, is momentary. Indeed, how can we not say thank, thank you God for that? His anger is but for a moment. And then look at that next phrase. His favor is for life. His favor is. Is for life. Oh, we ought to meditate on those five words for a minute. Those are glorious words. Do you not see eternal security shining through those words? His favor is for life. Jesus said in John chapter 5 and verse 24, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. I see eternal security there. I see the fact that once we're in Christ, we can't be out of Him. I see the fact that His favor is for life. It never ends. It's a glorious passage. It's a glorious phrase. Timothy Keller said, God relentlessly offers His grace to people who do not deserve it, do not seek it, or even appreciate it after they have been saved by it. Because His favor, His grace is for life. He may chasten us, but He never removes His grace. He never removes His favor from the Christian. Once bestowed, it's for life. You can never be out of God once you are in Him. When we are in Christ, we can never be out of Christ. His favor is for life. Or that's a great phrase. Notice the third one. Weeping may endure for a night. Weeping may endure for a night. As we have learned in recent days, there may be times in life when tears are all too much a part of our experience. I've experienced more of that personally in the last few months than in my entire life up to this point. And most of you have had similar experiences. Weeping may endure for a night. There may be times when we feel like that's never going to end, like all of our life is marked by tears. And yet, look at this verse. What a promise is in this verse. Weeping may come, but it will only endure for a night. It is temporary. It is not forever. It will come to an end. And then notice that last part. Joy comes in the morning. Now, I don't know about you, but if this if, if this doesn't make you want to shout, I don't know what in the world possibly would. Joy comes in the morning. You know, the lost can't say this. The people who don't know Christ as Savior, they don't have this to look forward to. But those of us who do, the Christians, we can say it. There is always that joy-filled morning to look forward to, no matter what season of tears He may lead us through. There is always joy coming. There is always a bright and happy future that we look forward to. Joy. Comes in the morning. That morning may come tomorrow. Or it may not come for several weeks down the road. Or it may not come until that morning of mornings when we awake with Him in glory, but it will come. Joy comes in the morning and the weeping, which so crushed and overwhelmed won't even be a memory. Just joy. When I get all thumbsucky over the valley of tears God has led me through recently, and I do. And when I get to missing my wife so much I can barely breathe, and I do, I am reminded of some things. I am reminded of the fact she has not known sadness. A single sad thought in a good two months, or close to two months now, (laughs) because that joy-filled morning has already come. As Jen sang this morning, she's already there. How can I not rejoice over that? How can we not rejoice over that? I can't help but smile when I think about that. She's come to that place that is described as our future in Revelation 21, 4, where God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Joy comes in the morning. The psalmist said in Psalm chapter 4, You have relieved me in my distress. You have put gladness in my heart. And how can we not blend our voices with David's? When we think about these things, how can we not extol, lift up the name of our God? When we think about these things, how can we not say thank you, God, for what you have done? Well, number three, we've seen he has delivered me and he has delivered you. Number three, he has chastened me. Look at verses six through ten. He has chastened me. I'm not going to read all of those again, but just look at them. In those verses, David kind of takes a little side trip, doesn't he? He's describing something else that's happened. He says he had seen such great deliverances in the past, and he had been so thankful for them. God had delivered him. God had made him prosperous. God had brought great prosperity into his life and lifted him up into this position of safety and provision. And then what happens in verse number 6? He says, now in my prosperity, when I got to that place, I said, I shall never be moved. Here he was in that wonderful state, and you know what happened to him? He succumbed. To pride. That's what he's talking about there. I got to the place where I thought I was invincible. I got to the place where I thought I had arrived. I'm at this place now where I'm safe and secure. I need to worry about nothing again. Look at me. Look at what I've done. Look at this great prosperity. I never need to worry about anything again. You know, that attitude seen in a lot of different places in the Bible. I think about Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar in uh, the book of Daniel... Nebuchadnezzar got just such a prideful spirit that God had to judge him. Daniel chapter 4 and verse 29, at the end of the 12 months he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke saying, is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? Same thing. He had succumbed to pride. Reminds me of the rich fool. Jesus talked about the rich fool who who thought that his work and his efforts in life had wrought him such peace and security in his latter days that he could just retire and go off and relax and have nothing to worry about it. Listen to what Jesus said. He spoke a parable to them saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully, and he thought within himself saying, What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods, and I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you, and then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Pride. That's what he succumbed to. Reminds me of the fall of Lucifer, the fall of Satan. Isaiah chapter 14 describes that. It says, How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How are you cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations? For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Pride. 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 And it's so easy, isn't it, in times of our prosperity to fall, as David did here, into that abyss. To become guilty of the sin of pride, to forget, to be thankful for the fact that it is God who has brought us to that place. And God who has brought all these good things into our life. That all that we have and all that we are and all that we will ever be is only and ever from God. He is the source of every blessing in our life. There is no such thing as a self-made man. There is no such thing as a self-made woman. I said that one time when we had a visitor here and they never came back. And I inquired later and they they were offended by that. Sorry. There's no such thing as a self-made man. All that we are is a gift of God. And were he but to remove his hand from our life for a moment, it would crumble around us into dust. And that's what David learned. And that's what David was talking about in verse number 7. When he said, Lord, by your favor, you have made my mountain stand strong. You're the one who did this, God. Not me. You're the one who made me great. Not me. And when you hid your face, I was troubled. David said, I remember it now. I know it. I see it. You bit hid your face from me for a moment, and I saw my need, and I was troubled. So can we not say thanks be to God for all that he has done, even those times when what he has done hurts, even those times when what he has done has chased us down and chastened us and corrected us and dragged us back from our own tendencies toward pride? Can we not say thank you to God for what he has done, even in those moments when he hid his face from us? For it was in those moments that we recognize and were reminded that only in Him do we have all blessings; that it is only Him that makes our mountains stand strong. Hmm. The writer to the Hebrews says, "No chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it." Oh, let us be thankful for all that God has done, even those times when it's been hard. Even those times when what he has done hurts. One last thing, and this is in verses 11 and 12. Verses 11 and 12, You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness to the end that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. Oh Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. I believe what he's saying here is he has kept delivering me. I can't be really sure about the chronology here. I don't know for a fact if David is simply reiterating the deliverance he's already talked about. Uh, maybe. He may be just reminding himself, going back and saying, yes, he had delivered me. But another possibility is that he is now saying, God delivered him back there, and then he fell away. And he fell into pride. And God had to snap him back and chasten him. And then God delivered him again. I think that's what he's saying. And I think that's what I see in the cycle of the Christian life, don't you? I I believe that's what happens. We fall away. We repent. He delivers us again. He keeps on delivering us over and over and over again. Our Christian life will have ups and downs. We will have those moments where we're serving the Lord with gladness. Thank God for them. We'll also have those moments where, like David, our heart is lifted up with pride and we forget. We forget that God is the one from whom all blessings flow and will drift and God will chase us, chase us down and chasten us and we'll repent and He'll deliver us again and again and again and again. How can we not say thank you God for what you have done? Can we say that this morning? Thank you God for what you have done. Andre Crouch's song, My Tribute, says it well, and I'll close with this. How can I say thanks for the things you have done for me? Things so undeserved, yet you gave to prove your love for me. The voices of a million angels could not express my gratitude. All that I am and ever hope to be, I owe it all to thee. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. To God be the glory for the things he has done.